You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. I want to teach you this morning, if you'll, I don't know how much time, where's my, oh, there's my clock. All right, so we're going to teach you from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 20. Right, verse 39, verse 1. Now, Luke was a Greek a Greek boy. He didn't have a grocery store. He actually did not come from Greece. He came from a very important, significant at the time place called Antioch. Antioch was a high, a vibrant, brand new, growing city run by the Romans with business because of the rivers. It would connect the east to the west business-wise and they could bring those wooden ships up those rivers safely and, and unload cargo and so on. And so they gravitated, many Greeks gravitated there as did Jews and synagogues popped up. And because it was Roman, they had democratic society. Anybody could have a church and nobody opposed anybody else. They weren't allowed to. And so the church there grew and became the big powerful church in Antioch. It was, and the Jews also in their synagogues. And this, this man, Luke, was born and raised there because his parents also came there to do business. And he was educated, come from a strong family, but with a Greek overture and culture. And he saw, heard the Jewish message and became a Jew first and, and, a, and also a medical doctor. And then he became a a Greek, what they'd call, I mean, a Christian, they'd call him, they'd call that a proselyte. But he wrote most of our words, he wrote more words than anybody else in the book of Luke and Acts. And both of them are, none of them are teachings or his opinions or his insights. They're all carefully, historically noted as any educated man would do. The book of Luke is unlike Matthew, Mark and John is not just one person's opinion, but many people's ideas and, and reflections and things they saw. So he built an account of what he knew to happen. And this is what happened. And what I want to teach you this morning is that there are people in this room today that you love God, you're here today, but you feel unnoticed. You feel like you're not doing much. You feel like no one knows how you labor for God. No one knows the things you do. And it's like, you just, you just, you're nobody. And I want to show you an amazing woman today. I want to introduce you to a woman that I still marvel at. And I tell you, in my years of walking with the Lord and study, I've found that women have always been God's secret weapon. That God did nothing. Every great thing God did, there was a woman somewhere in the mix. And he used some of the most bizarre situations in women's lives. And he, from Esther, who was a, a queen, to Rahab, who was a prostitute, who brought the line of Jesus right from her own bloodline. A remarkable lady. So many women that just were impactful and never got credit for it. And today, I'm going to start with you with Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, a young teenage girl who was betrothed. And I'm from a Jewish family, so I'm going to just relay that to you. I hope you don't mind me talking fast. I've got a lot to say. So... <clears throat> So, so Mary, Mary was a betrothed, which means she wasn't old enough to marry yet, but she was already committed to another man. And it's very common in the Jewish culture to have to hire someone from a young age to start matchmaking your children. Because what we do is we marry for because we find someone attractive. It doesn't matter if they have nothing in common with me. And then we marry out of attraction and out of lust, call it what you like. And then we struggle to match all those things. Jews match the things first and then help the attraction along. And then their marriages last and are strong and are very fruitful. 
just want you to know that's the Jewish culture. But it's also fading as years go on. But she was also matched, matched with Joseph. It was actually a distant family. He was not a carpenter. He was a builder. Is what the actual he, original Hebrew says. He was a builder of some kind. So he did more than just wood stuff. He did everything like that. And that was the father. He didn't participate in the life of Jesus. And he was led of dreams. Very, very interesting man, this Joseph. And I haven't got time to teach on that. But Mary was a young teenager. She, was, she had to be 15 and younger. She couldn't have been aged appropriate to marry yet, which is 16, she was younger. And she meets an angel along the road that says, you're going to be pregnant. Now, this is not some small prophecy. It's not like, yeah, you know what? I, that's confirming what I've been feeling, that God's going to make me pregnant. You can imagine the, the, the impact to go home to mom and dad. Mom, dad, I'm pregnant. And it's not Joseph, it's God. God, I'm pregnant from God. I'm, I'm virgin, I'm a, but I'm pregnant. You know, the whole thing is so bizarre, but yet truthful. Now, in her encounter with the angel, she kind of in a bewilderment, uh, not banters, but begins to communicate. And then the angel says that God's going to make you pregnant. And the, her response is, well, let it be to me, whatever God's will is. If that's God's will, that I'm fully committed. That's what she's saying. Let it be to me according to, and I still find that marvelous because I struggle to do that. Even at this age, I mean, I want to do everything God wants until he asks me something that's a little bit out of my framework of reference. And I don't really want to do that. And all of us, you may say, well, that's not me. It is, believe me. Believe me. If you can't even obey God with your money, you're not going to obey Him with anything else. It's the bottom of it all. Okay, so just stay with me. And, and, uh, here, we, and so here we have this Mary, and the, she hears she's going she's to have this baby. And, the, and then the angel says to her, and look, your cousin, Elizabeth, is with child. Now, they didn't have iPhone. They didn't have any phone. They didn't have telegrams. There was no way for her to know. She's, in fact, when this cousin of hers got pregnant, the Bible says she was in seclusion for five months, which nobody knew she was with child. Her husband, at a late age, and just let me tell you about this family first of all, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were Levites, one of the 12 tribes that are dedicated to priesthood. Now, there's so many of them, so they could not, they could not uh, all be at the same time in the temple. So they were put into divisions. And Zechariah had his division and every few months they'd have to go to the temple and serve there from sacrifices to weddings to bar mitzvahs. It was their job. That's how Zechariah ended up getting chosen in a lot to go, into, go in and to do the, the, the burnt, the, the fragrance offerings. They use fragrance offerings. We incense burn for, carry the prayers because it's the only organ in your body that has not sinned. The penny will drop, I believe, eventually. And so that would carry the, the prayers of God up. And Zechariah was starting to debate with the angel because he couldn't figure out that his wife would be pregnant. She's already old, which is in the Jewish custom about, about 40 years old. And so Mary, uh, Elizabeth's about 40 and Mary's about 15, but they're cousins. So they know each other. They see each other at different festivals at Jerusalem because this Elizabeth lives south of Jerusalem in the Judean hills. And Mary lived up way north and up, up on a mountain called little village insignificant called Nazareth. And so they would come to the festivals, which was very normal. And they'd probably see each other, know of each other, but they didn't. She's 40, she's 15, who's going to hang out? Is this, they don't have a lot in common, right? But now she says, and look, your cousin's pregnant. And so this woman, who not only Elizabeth and Zechariah weren't only Levites, they were also descendants of Aaron, which makes, and both of them were. Both were from the same bloodline, which means that both were considered noble. 
So they weren't ordinary people. But Zechariah was kind of flaky for me because he still debated about and had to be struck down. But this woman, Elizabeth, who I'm introducing you to, is of some other caliber. And I'm going to show it to you in a moment. And so Mary, for some reason, when she hears a cousin is with child, I read in the book of, in the book of Luke chapter 1, verse 39, it says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried. She immediately got ready and hurried to a town in the, in the hill country of Judea. Now, Mary's 15. She can't just get up and go. There's no train. There's no bus. There's no, there's no way of getting there other than walking. So dad had to give permission and send along some servants with donkeys, with food and supplies, because she couldn't, with her, she'd probably take a week to get there. It's a long way to go. If you walked very fast and you were deliberate and walking long hours until it's dark, you could make it in three or four days. But it's still a long way to go to Jerusalem and then still beyond that. So she gets up and what's she thinking? I'm thinking, what, 15 years old, you heard your cousin's pregnant, you're going there, why are you going there? Nobody knows she's pregnant, she's just been told she's pregnant. And then the verse 40 says, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, she, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Quite a dramatic thing, not public, just in a small little contained space. In a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. No one knows she's pregnant. But why, she says, and this is what's really gripped my soul, but why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord come to me. What, what, what do you mean, Elizabeth, the mother of your Lord? How do you, what do you know? How can you know in that instant that she's carrying a baby, first of all, and this baby's no, no, it's no ordinary, it's somebody of great importance. How could you know that except by divine revelation? Now, Zechariah's arguing with the angel, and Elizabeth says, who am I? And she's so humble that she realizes she's actually favored. That this woman would come, this is the Lord, that something is going on. The moment that happens with her word, she's saying something divine, supernatural, beyond my understanding. And there's nobody in the room but her and Mary. Two women. And in that culture, women were of secondary importance. In churches, they couldn't participate in services. They didn't have a right to vote. They, if their husbands didn't like them, they could divorce them very easily. And it was, they just weren't important. And women sat even, not even in the same place in, the, in a synagogue. They had to sit in a separate section. And I could tell you all the reasons why, but it's not important now. And there's a, the, So she's not regarded. Yet this woman of great noble character, she meets Mary, who she's not close to, she says that what am I that, the, that you come with this child and who am I? What, 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 what is special about me? What's going on? Little did she, and that, that made her understand, ah, this baby inside of me and that leaped, there must be some reason for this. Now, for the, to have us the Christ, we needed a, a forerunner, a, someone that would go and the purpose of John's life was to let Israel wake up and become spiritually aware of God because they were so inundated with the mundane difficulties of their nation. At that time of Jesus, it was the most beautiful that Jerusalem had ever been in the history of that nation. It was 
a slogan, if you've not seen a beautiful city, you've not been to Jerusalem. Because Herod, the great at that time, was the most historically gifted builder. And he not only built a beautiful palace with three towers and bridges, magnificent buildings all throughout Jerusalem, he built an entire city called Caesarea for Caesar, a harbor that had all the Roman features and looked like little Rome. And then he built all kinds of places and, and castles in the desert, one of which is called Masada or Masada, as you might call it. And so this man was not only an ordinary builder, he decided, you know what, we need to rebuild the temple. So he thought, I'm going to lift the seventh hill, this Moriah, I'm going to lift it up and make a platform. So he builds a temple mount that's still there today. It's the size of 14 rugby fields. And it's still there today. And I'm putting a temple bigger than even Solomon's temple, but he's not allowed to build the temple. He has to get the priests to do it. And you can, so these spiritual guys have got to build a temple and they would take hundreds of years sometimes. He got them to build it in 14 years. He got them so motivated and so helped that all that, you couldn't touch the building. They had to do it themselves. But the rest of the place, this whole temple mount has a whole irrigation system because they would sacrifice 3,000 sheep at, at Passover and they'd have to get the blood and the water flowing, get it cleansed. It was, he was a genius of building. And in fact, when I take tours now and we go to the underground along the Western Wall, they have these massive, of, uh, big stones that are cut and, uh, and have moved there. And they always ask me, how did they know how to move such a huge stone the size of an 18-wheeler? I said, we had so much practice in Egypt. <laughs> 400 years we practiced and practiced till we could do this. And it's just years of hard, <laughs> hard difficulty. But that was the most beautiful time. And that's what Jesus was partial to. It was all right before the collapse of Israel. And that was why the Lord came at that time. But John's job was to get them away from their Roman oppressions and their whining and their complaining to make them conscious of God. And his message was, repent. God's calling you to a righteous life, to a holy life, to back to the Jewish law. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Jesus said that the law and the prophets spoke until John. That means that, we're starting a whole new way of talking from me onwards. So John was the last of the Old Testament prophets to proclaim. And now the Messiah they were reading in Isaiah. Isaiah was riddled, I think like 34 different prophecies about the Messiah. The virgin, the healing, the miracles, the crucifixion. All of it's in Isaiah, all of it. And that was one of the major books in the Tanakh. They would read that thing and they knew the Messiah was coming and he would do miracles. That was the biggest sign of the Messiah was the miracles. And John didn't do one miracle. And they kept asking him, are you the Messiah? And this was the life that, was, he was, that, that Elizabeth was carrying inside of her to get this John ready to make a way for Jesus so he could bring his message because that was the purpose of Jesus, to bring a message to the Jews, to give them a chance to repent, that they have no excuse. To do that, we needed a forerunner to get them aware of God and awakened. And then when they wouldn't take the message, then it would go to the Gentiles throughout the whole world. When the Gentiles came and said, please heal my child, I cannot give the dogs what belongs to the children. He was focused. He said, I'm called to the Jews. And that was his purpose. Now, this Elizabeth had her little role to play. Miss nobody in the south side of Jerusalem. Her husband's a priest and she's of the priestly bloodline. And she's so bewildered. Who am I? That the mother of my Lord, she's prophesying of such a level. She recognizes and her job. Now she realizes this is no ordinary baby. I'm not just blessed have a child, I have a special important task here. Obviously, if this, if my Savior, my King, my Lord has come to see me, I have an obligation. So it was her job. And John was the complete product of this amazing woman of God. 
But nobody knew, nobody celebrated, no one wrote her into any kind of annals of, of great importance. She was nobody in people's eyes. But John was only the man of God he was because of Elizabeth. She's the one that would start when he was a baby singing songs to him of the, the glories of God and teaching him the greatness of God and who he's born to be and how it was to live a holy life. That man had no girlfriend. He ever went to the movies. He had no fun whatsoever. He didn't have a skateboard. He had nothing. That boy grew up until he was 30 years old and before he started his ministry and he ended up in a desert with this extreme monastery group. There was this group called the Hessenes. They wore long white robes. They didn't marry and they would always fast and pray and baptize and read scriptures. They always were very strong, spiritual and they built a whole monastery in the desert and that's where John the Baptist spent the last two years before he finally started his ministry. And so when he was started, he was baptizing constantly. Baptism was a very much a normal tradition of Jews for sanctification. Before you come to the temple, we often do, it's called a mikvah, which is the holy water. You go through the, this holy water and you, you baptize and cleanse. It's a ritual, but you don't do it every day. But these Hessenes did it every single day they would do it. It was just, they were so dedicated. And John spent two years with them learning and, and getting into that, that, that mode of life. So when Jesus comes along, he's already got a disciples that he's preaching to because he's full of this, this evangelistic outreach and get this nation going. And he says, look, behold, the Lamb of God and he predicts and prophesies and he gets behind Jesus in every way for those years that Christ is doing his ministry and he he's speaking righteousness and Herod Herod had some theologians say he shouldn't have spoken against Herod why not Herod is supposed to be a Jewish king supposed to set an example and he's living an immoral life and he builds he builds a, a, a palace in Tiberias to get away but he could not stand Pontius Pilate and Herod were in, always in conflict. So he moved away from him until Jesus, then they became buddies. And Pontius Pilate was there a few more years and he was taken back to Rome and he never heard from him again. He, was, he, lost, he didn't want to come to, to Israel in the first place. It was an outpost for him and not beneath him. And when the Jews had a revolt, he killed 6,000 of them. So the Jews worked very hard to work with Pilate, but he stayed there in Jerusalem. And most of the governors after that lived on, on Caesarea because it was like a Roman city. Am I boring you? I'm telling you all this for reasons, just how life was at that time. And this, <laughs> and this Elizabeth was living in a, a small village outside, a small place, a little small holding. And this is, she's trained. She had to spend day after day reciting scriptures to this child, teaching this child, disciplining this child, so that this child could be this voice. But this John, right before he dies, he, he's critically, he publicly denounces this, uh, the works of this bad king called, uh, called Herod. There were a whole dynasty of them, a whole bunch of them, but it was his time and he was in Tiberias. Tiberias was built on graves and that's why Jesus himself never went there. Prophets are not allowed to walk in graves. And so they've had, they just, the last hundred, last 50 years have taken all the famous graves out of there to purify it, but it's still got a strange atmosphere in Tiberias. And that's where king, the king built his palace. And one of those palace, the palace, the guy in charge of the palace, working for the king, his wife, Joanna, was one of Jesus' financial supporters. It's in the Word. Luke 8. Let's read it. It's all there. It's all very exciting. The Word's so full of interesting personalities and people. Okay. Just like you and me. What do you think of that? Okay. <laughs> so, so I understand Elizabeth's importance. Nobody celebrated her. But she had such an investment in the life of Jesus so that we could have the Savior. She played such a vital role to train John the Baptist. And you're doing a lot for God that nobody even knows. 
and you feel like, I never get noticed, recognized, I'm nobody. But God is seeing you. Do not think your work is in vain, unnoticed. If you work for man and get their praise, you've already got your reward. That's what Jesus said. But if you do it in secret, he will reward you openly. All they'll see is the rewards. They won't see the work. They'll just see the rewards. And I would rather do that because I, I realize that people are up and down. They're fickle. They change the opinion of you all the time. But God, but God, God will reward you and bless you. There is no blessings like God's blessing. Are you here with me? You know that the Jewish people have a, a star called the Magandovit, which is actually the shield of David, as you've recognized the little, little star. has got six points. You know that? It looks like a sun. Because we are, and it says in the scriptures that the Jews are the children of the light. And if you don't know this, you are actually a Jew. Because that's the word means chosen. And you are a chosen people. As the scripture says. And you are joint heirs, the scripture says. So you are as much Jewish. What's going on in Israel is very much important and part of your life. It's part of your fight. You don't see Al-Qaeda killing a Hare Krishna or a Buddhist. They want to decapitate only Christians and Jews because we are apparently infidels. The rest are okay. All those other strange religions are okay, but we the infidels. And that just tells you that how important they are. You are Jewish, whether you, are, whether you grew up in a Jewish family or not. You are born again. You are locked into the family of God. We have the same destiny. You hear, do you hear what I'm telling you? All right, the same God we serve. All right, so, and the, but the Muslims, their emblem is the half moon and the stars. So they're the children of the night. We're the children of the day and the light. 